reach that point in life where you realize this world has nothing for us. Its greatest promises are fleeting. But the things that God has for us are eternal. Amen? Let's stand together. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11 is uh, uh, the heroes of faith, the hall of fame of God. And I want you to listen carefully to these words as we read them together. Now, on, on New Year's Eve, we're going to talk a little bit about who are we? What are we supposed to be doing? But listen to these words uh, today. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have, op- had, have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Father, we thank you for your word today and pray that you would, uh, once again, let it come alive within us. Let us learn and grow in it. Let us be established in you. And let us be a people that you're not ashamed to be called our God. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. It was about uh, 35 years ago, 34, 35 years ago, I was uh, standing outside the Marriott Hotel in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We had just uh, finished uh, a youth conference for about 1,100 youth pastors from all across the nation. The hotel uh, was the main convention hotel where uh, most of the youth pastors were staying. And it was time to check out and time to go. The lobby was uh, packed with youth pastors that knew each other, talking to each other, heading back to their various uh, places of ministry around the, around the country. I was standing outside waiting to catch the next shuttle uh, to the airport. I had an early flight, and I couldn't afford to be two or three shuttles in. I had to get the next one out. And so I had gone outside and was standing outside waiting to be certain that I got on the next uh, the next one that came back. When I glanced back in the window, and of course there were hundreds of youth pastors who were talking uh, to each other as they were uh, as they were getting ready to leave. And in the middle of all this crowd of youth pastors, uh, I noticed a man walking, weaving his way uh, through the crowd. He had a hat on; it was pulled down low over his his brow. He had a raincoat on with the collar up on the side. He was kind of looking down and walking through the crowd. I didn't think much about it. I, I, didn't, I didn't think much. I, I, I turned away and looked, looking for the shuttle. And in a moment or so later, I glanced back, and by this time, he was at the doorway coming out to the driveway. I sent something off to my left, and I turned, and about that time, a black sedan pulled up, and a man jumped out of the passenger side of the car and opened the back door and stood there looking for someone to come. And, and so I, I looked, and as I turned uh, to 
was picking up, here comes the man with the hat on and the high collar. He was within about five feet of me. I could take one step and grab him by the arm. And now I could see under the hat, I could see over the collar, I could see who the man was. I could have said nothing and just let the moment pass, but I felt like I had to say something. Uh, you, you want to make sure you say the appropriate words at a moment like that, and, and suddenly the most appropriate words just kind of sprang to my lips. And I said to him, you're one of my heroes. And we walked by. And he stopped. And he turned and walked straight towards me. And stood there and talked to me for the next uh, five minutes. So for the next five minutes, I had the privilege to stand in the driveway of the Marriott Hotel in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and talk with Dr. Billy Graham. I am sure I stammered and stuttered through those minutes. But his grace and his kindness raised his stature in my eyes as he took a few minutes to stand and talk. As he discovered that the same grace the man has in the pulpit is reflected in a driveway of a hotel where nobody's watching. You know, this world has their list of heroes. You hear people called heroes all the time. Sports stars. Entertainers. Sometimes maybe even business leaders are politicians. People that we honor, and if you meet them, maybe you go a little weak-kneed in front of them and stammer and stutter a bit. And frankly, I, I can admire a lot of them. If I hear somebody who at a, at a play or something and they have a great voice and they present uh, the song with a great with a great uh, great ability I can admire their talent I can watch an athlete and see uh, the championship accomplishments of an athlete and and I can respect that and honor the hard work and the effort uh, that they put into making something like that happen but with full disclosure today, uh, when they are listed, when they are held up in esteem, I am fine with that. Uh, but when our commentators call them heroes, I just want to go, and why? Why? What makes them a hero? Uh, because they have the ability to put a little ball in the hoop? Because they've been given the God-given ability to sing and they go into a and they, they make a living with a, with a fan. They're a hero? Is that what makes them heroes? Hebrews chapter 11 is known as God's Hall of Fame. It's God's list of, of heroes. And, and I have some heroes. I mean, I, I look at, when I look at uh, warriors, people who go to protect our country, put their life and limb at risk so that we can have freedom, that's heroic. Uh, when I see some of the men and women who serve us in, in the police departments, on the fire departments, who risk their lives, uh, give themselves for our safety, that, that's, that's pretty heroic. But 
when I really begin to think about spiritual heroes, when I really begin to think about the depth of what a hero does, there has to be that element of I'm doing something for somebody else. And, and I begin to think of heroes, and I have my list of heroes, the names that pop to mind for me instantly are men like Billy Graham or David Wilkerson or Mark Buntain who goes to Calcutta and spends a lifetime building hospitals, building churches, establishing feeding programs, proclaiming the name of Jesus to a country far from God. I think of people like Ralph Semino that some of you have never heard of, many of you remember from years ago, who became known as the father of the Pentecostal movement in Nigeria, having gone there when there was nothing going on and planted hundreds and hundreds of churches throughout Nigeria. Gave his life to that effort. I think of men like David Reaver, and who's, who not only sacrificed his life in spiritual aspects, but gave, it, gave so much of his life in protecting our country. And, and frankly, I think of some of my uncles and my mom and my dad. And, and I see how they in their life gave their life in so many ways to be a blessing to others. So here's the standard for me when I think about heroes. I think about the people who willingly sacrifice of themselves to be a blessing. And when I think about spiritual heroes, I think we see a definition right here in Hebrews chapter 11. Let me read it for you again. He's listed all these people and all the things that they've done. He says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on this earth. Christians, do you understand? We're not trying to fit in with this world. We don't want to raise our children to fit in with this world. We want to raise our children to see the pain and the suffering of this world and to challenge them to become heroic in using their gifts and their talents to lift the pain and the suffering of this world and to minister to others and to call others to Christ. And these men admitted, they recognized, we're not a part of this world. We, we recognize that we look a little strange to others. We're strangers here. We recognize we don't fit in. We're not just like this crew. We're... We're not trying to, to be cool so that they will get it. We're trying to be godly so they'll see it. Aliens, strangers. It says people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they are longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, because of that, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. See, friend, you're either going to live your life with your hopes, your dreams, the success of your accomplishments firmly planted in this world that is fading and broken and messed up and comes to an end. Or we're going to live our lives with our hopes, our dreams, the success of our accomplishments firmly fixed in another world. Looking towards another home. Looking towards 
and eternal life that can only be found in heaven. And if you're going to be on God's list of heroes, if you're going to make that hero list, where God says he's not ashamed to be called their God, or later in verse 38 where God declares this, the world was not worthy of them. Not worthy of them. If you're going to have that kind of victory, then there are some things that you're going to have to do that nobody can do for you. There's some ways of seeing the world and living your life on this planet that you're going to have to pick up and capture if you're ever going to live that kind of life where God says, well, it's not worthy of that one. Now, there's one, there's one I'm not ashamed of. Let me tell you where it begins. It begins with prayer. Prayer. People, listen, people can pray for you, but nobody can pray for you. It is in prayer that a relationship with God is forged. It's in those moments with Him that you begin to discover and sense of calling out to Him, of talking to Him, where the, the mind and the heart is open to the greatness of God. It's in prayer that the, that the attachments of this world in His presence, talking with Him, alone with Him, that the attachments of this world begin to fall off of your heart and the joy and the peace and the direction of God begins to be formed in your life. It's in prayer and in the, in the, in the touch of Him that the temptations of this world lose their hold and the reality of who we are created to be in God becomes clear. It's there where calling becomes clear and where purpose becomes clear. It is in prayer where we are transformed by His Spirit and we learn to hear His voice. And listen, no one can do that for you. I can pray for you. Your spouse can pray for you. But nobody can pray for you. You've got to be in His presence. And it's in there where you begin to express thanks to God for His goodness to you. That your eyes get lifted up from the troubles, the momentary troubles of this earth. And you begin to fixate your life and your eyes upon the one who is greater than anything we'll face upon this earth, so that whatever you face tomorrow, whatever you go through this, this next year, that you know the great one is with you and will keep you and protect you. It's there that you learn that instead of moaning and groaning about life, that you can bring your request, you can present them to him, and where he can move and use even the toughest circumstances of our life to form us in the image of his son and to make us who we're supposed to be. Hey, look at these guys in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, read them over sometime. And then, uh, you know, get your list of the ones who had life easy and bring it to me. I haven't found that guy yet. This life is a challenge. You're not going to hear that every place you go, friend. This life is a challenge. There are temptations and there are trials. There is calling and work to be done. There are hurdles to overcome and obstacles that we'll face. That if we face them with the grace of God and the power of God, 
we will be victorious in God. There's warfare to be done. And the ultimate warfare, friend, is done in us looking at the things in our family, in our own lives, that the enemy would draw us into and have us waste our lives on. There's temptations and trust, things he wants us to glorify, things he wants us to think are important, the enemy wants us to think are important, that are really trivial and sidetrack our lives. That we have to do spiritual warfare in through prayer. We've got to say, God, I want to be formed in your image and not in the image of my culture. I want to be transformed by you and in your family and in our community. There are things to be done that can only be done through fasting and prayer. And nobody can do that for you. Nobody can fast for you. Nobody can say, I'm going to set my flesh aside and let my spirit come to the forefront. Let my desire come to the forefront. Nobody can do that for you. You have to do that. If you're going to put that kind of a a barrier protection over your family, over your community, over our church, only you can do that. God's put you in that place. The question is, will we step up? And then there's the aspect of listening to God and hearing God, letting God speak to us. Nobody can listen for you. Prayer in private times. Set aside times. And I'll tell you, because you're sitting here today, you may be at all levels of this. Maybe you're a, you have a well-developed prayer life. Keep it up this next year. Maybe you don't have a developed prayer life at all. You just call out to God every once in a while when you get in trouble. But wherever it is, let it develop this year. Decide this year. I'm going to spend five minutes a day. I'm going I'm to get up five minutes early. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray through my day. I'm going to stop at the end of the day before I go to bed. I'm going to pray through the past day. And ask God, what would he say to me about today? Well, how did I do today, God? You want to hear God's voice? Start asking him at the end of the day, how did I do today? You'll, you'll start hearing God's voice. He'll take you right to the point where not so good right there. Not so good. I'll take the other thing and say, well done. But nobody can do that for you. And you'll learn that prayer is continual. That communion with God doesn't just happen on Sundays or Wednesdays or the five minutes in the morning or ten minutes at night that you take to get along with God. But as you walk through the day, you can talk to Him. He'll talk to you. You can listen for Him. You can ask God what to do next. He's there all the time. Not far from Nobody can do that for you. You've got to learn to pray. If you're going to become a hero of faith, a hero in the kingdom of God, then the Word of God has to be central in your life. The Word of God is the foundation for life and truth. We call it the standard for faith and conduct. And if you're going to grow, you must be dedicated to the Word. No one can be dedicated to the Word for you. Without it, we are like men stumbling in the darkness wanting to find our way, maybe even with really good intentions, but not knowing where to step next. And so there has to be a dedication in our life to receive the teaching and preaching of the Word, to bring it into our life, not to make being in the house of God or being around teaching and preaching a a thing that happens occasionally, but a very dedicated purpose. And then not to just come in and sit and listen, but to... To, to begin to take it and apply it to our life. 
So today you sit here and I, I talk to you about prayer. And you can sit here and think, oh, yeah, I, for Christians should pray. But unless you go out of this place and say, I'm going to apply that to my life. I'm going to begin to pray. I'm going to begin to whatever level you're at today. I, I don't know about this whole prayer thing. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to try to talk to you. If you don't start, if you don't begin, you haven't applied the Word to your life. And the only way the Word becomes rich and powerful is when you begin to apply it to your life. When you let it clean up your language, you let it clean up your spirit, you let it change the way you look at other people, you let it transform your life. And so we open the Word not with a desire to say, Oh, God, make me biblically smarter than everybody else. We open the Word to say, God, let me be transformed into the image you want me to be transformed into. Let me hear it. And then there's reading and absorbing the Word. Reading the Word with the intent to be changed. Reading the Word and stopping and thinking about what it's saying to me about my life today. Taking time with the Word and not just rotely reading through Scripture. Listen, we have, there's, there's several plans you can do. do one, one back at the information booth, there's a, a read through the Bible plan. A, a lot of people read through the Bible in a year. Uh, in your bulletin day, there's what we call just an infusion plan. It, it's not as, it, it, it's, it just gives you a plan of, of reading through certain scriptures until you let them get infused in part of your life. Because see, as you bring the word into your life, the Holy Spirit will speak to you and challenge you. And of course, you can just have a freelance plan. You just do whatever you, you just want to read the word. Now, I would tell you, if, if you just take off trying to read the word from front to back, it's going to be harder, more difficult. But if you let some people help you, they can guide you through how to do this in a way that will bring the Word alive in your life and help you. But here's the deal. Here's what you've got to understand. Nobody, nobody can read the Bible for you. You've got to read the Bible yourself. This is God's Word for you. We've heard it talked about in the Scriptures we read today. It's full of life. It's full of health. It's full of strength. It's full of power. It'll come into your life and lift your life up out of depression and out of, out, of, out of sorrow and out of brokenness. And it'll give you direction in your life. It'll teach you how to walk in relationships. It'll build faith in your spirit to trust and, and follow after God. But you've got to read it. You've got to study it. So listen, don't ever blame others for your lack of spiritual growth if you're not dedicated to the Word. The church, you come to church, you get saved. We take you through some classes. We help you grow. But there comes a point in all, in all people's spiritual growth where it stops being the ability of other people to help you grow, where you've got to do things to grow yourself. You've got to become, as some say, a self-feeder who reads the Word on your own, studies the Word on your own, pursues God on your own. Because if you don't, the pastor can't do it for you. He can give you some tools. We can point you some ways. Your small group leaders can encourage you. But you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Or it doesn't get done. So if you're not dedicated to the Word, you'll never get there. Now here's the third thing. Heroes, true men of faith, men and women of faith, understand this. My life is about service to 
others. To be a hero of faith, you have to use your life and your talents to serve others. When I hear a great singer sing and their wonderful voice, and their maybe it's entertaining, I find myself in the back of my mind, I wonder, do they ever glorify God with that wonderful voice God's given? People run around singing about sex and singing about broken relationships and singing about all kinds of stuff going on in the world. God's given this wonderful voice that they sing for His glory. Would lift people's spirits, encourage people's hearts, bless people's lives. And they're selling it for a dime and a dollar. To be a hero of faith, to be a hero, I think, you have to use your life to serve others. To help others. No one can do that for you. Now listen, let me give you a quick couple quick things. One, you have been gifted for the common good according to According to Corinthians, you've been gifted for the common good. That means that you have a gifting that you're supposed to use inside the body of Christ to bless other people. Some gifting. It's your responsibility. We can help you, but it's your responsibility to find it and to begin to use it. And to take that gift and to use it to bless other people in the body of Christ. And that, that can be anything from being a Sunday school teacher to being a small group leader to being a greeter to being a choir member to just using the gifts and we have we have men and women in our church who use their gifts and their talents they'll call me and they'll say I, I have this happen every year people come and say pastor this is what I'm good at this is what I, do you know anybody who needs this I'm here to help them and they'll use their resources to bless other people but that's where you're going to find fullness of life. Fullness of life is found in giving. I'm, I'm talking about giving of our resources, giving of our abilities, not hoarding it. Everything we have belongs to God. Our homes belong to God. Our, our, our cars belong to God. Everything. Do I, how can I use this for the glory of God's kingdom? And, and hear me, this will block some of your wool. But your money belongs to God. Did you know that? We're stewards of all of it. And if I want to be used, I realize that, that if I want the spigot of God's blessing to grow in my life, where more is pouring through me, then I've got to let it pour through me. And I've got to take the things God's given me and use it to bless others. Use it to build a church. Use it to feed people around the world. Use it to do the works of the kingdom of God. Number three, you've got to find your calling in life. God created you with a calling in life, a place to make a difference. And when you go out, listen, you go out into your workplace, God has planted you there. God's planted you there. He's given you this place. You go out into your neighborhood, God's planted you there. Go into your, into your family, you go, wow, look at my family. God's planted you there. There's a calling of God for you to glorify Him in the middle of it. Do you think it's going to always be easy? Say, oh, Pastor, I hope I don't get any resistance. Let me give you a promise. You're going to love this promise. You're going to hold on to it all day long. You will get resistance. You will come against the foe from time to time. That's where kingdom warriors are made. 
That's where heroes are developed. If you're gonna, if you're gonna be a giant killer, you've gotta face some giants. And here's the last one for you. A secret act of service. As you walk through life, God will give you opportunities to just bless somebody. Nobody's watching. No, nothing's. Nobody's going to cheer you when you get home. Your spouse won't even know it unless you tell them. But you have the chance to walk on by or to do something. To help out, to give a little, to bless. No one knows it, but you, and maybe them, maybe at times not even them. God will use you. These are works of service that only you can do and no one can do for you. At my grandma Pano's funeral, I was about, uh, I was pretty young. I was about 12 or 13 at the time. Uh, don't remember a lot about the circumstances, but I, I, I've heard the story told many times. There was a man, pretty big crowd. My, my grandparents had been pastors for many years, and uh, the family was pretty big, and they were they were pastors, and they'd done things. But there's a lot of people that had come to this funeral, people from all over the U.S. had come in that had been called in ministry under their ministry, and uh, there was a lot of lot of people there. But uh, there was one man in particular who was sitting over against a wall. His head was down. He wasn't dressed very well, pretty disheveled. And and I'm told he was sitting there, kind of quietly weeping. I don't know if any of the family members, any of the other family members knew him. I, I, I certainly didn't. I don't know if my folks knew him. But one of the family members went over and sat down next to him, asked him if he was okay. And he looked at them and he said, looked at one of my uncles and he said, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do without her. And they said, well, what, what do you mean? She made sure I had a coat and gloves every winter. She always made sure I had food to eat. She checked with me to make to see if I was sick or if I was feeling okay. She made sure that I had a place to stay when it was cold. She looked after me. Nobody knew that. Grandpa didn't know. My grandma was a, she was a great singer, she was a musician, she was a church leader. In fact, if you were to go down to Springfield, Missouri, the Assembly of God headquarters, they have a, they have a museum there in the headquarters of the Pentecostal church from its, the Assemblies of God birth in the early 1900s up through now. And as you walk in the door, there's a statue of my grandma and my grandpa there for playing her banjo did a lot of great things, a lot of wonderful things. But if you'd ask me, was she a hero? It's not because she was a musician. It's not because she was a church leader or even a great teacher. It's because of men like that in her life that she determined to serve. 
See, in the kingdom of God, we all get the chance to be the hero. God gives you the opportunity. You'll either seize it or you'll lose it. Jesus was the greatest hero of all. He walked on water. He calmed the seas. He fed the multitudes. He taught great lessons. He healed the sick. He did all these wonderful things. But you know this? Other people could have done that. God could have given other people the ability to do all of those things, and in many cases has. But there was one thing that only Jesus could do, and it's what makes him the hero of heroes. He laid down his life on Calvary for you and for me. Nobody else could do that for him. Nobody else could take that place. He did that for us, and that's why we should always celebrate him as our hero in life. And it's why we should try to be like him, to be a hero to other people in life, to look at those around us and say, what can I do to lift them today, to encourage people today, to bless people today? The life of a real hero of faith has their, their, their feet firmly planted in heaven, looking for the joy of heaven while they serve people on this earth today. Listen again to this passage. This day comes. It's ready. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on this earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking about the country they left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Listen. Nobody can make that dedication of faith for you. Nobody else can say, here's my life. Let it be. Consecrated Lord to be. Except you. You make that decision before God. You choose to follow him. You choose to be formed in his image. Or you choose not to be. Today, I want to challenge you as we sing this song. What's your dedication going to be? You see our desires. Father, you know the future that's ahead for us, what you call us to walk through and to be. I just pray you prepare our spirits even today. Let our lives be wholly yours. In every way we pray in Jesus' name. If everyone that can, please stand with us today. As every head's bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Just say, Pastor, I need to, I need to just simply cross the line of faith. I, I hear Jesus died for me. I want to dedicate my life to Him, and I, I haven't done that. I need to do that today. If 
that's you, we just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me right now in Jesus' name. I want to make sure my heart is right with God. Looking across this place, say, God bless you. I see that hand. However, today you raise your hand and say, Pray for me. Anyone else here today? God bless you. I see that hand. That hand. God bless you. Right now, I'm going to ask the prayer team to step out and come down. Father, you've seen every hand that was raised today. You know the condition of every heart and every life today. Father, you, you, you laid this word upon my heart and you, you honed it and clarified it this week of what I should say. So, Lord, I challenge this fellowship. Challenge us to let us live lives wholly dedicated to let us do those things that only we can do for ourselves to grow in you and to be used with you. So, Lord, challenge us so that we would read and know your word. Call to us in prayer. And, Father, in Jesus' name, show us those places of service that we can serve. To give glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name. continue to sing here in a moment and when we do, if you raise your hand I want to encourage you to come down and let somebody pray with you but we, we close all of our services, almost everyone on Sunday morning we close through this way we believe prayer makes a difference you may be going through a time in life that's a struggle you may be needing a decision, you may have a great need in your life we just want somebody to pray with you, we're happy to pray with you glad that we believe in God hears our prayers. And so as we sing this song, just feel free to step out from wherever you're at and come down. Maybe if you're too bashful to do that, wait till everybody's dismissed. They'll still be coming. People will still be down here praying. Slip on down and let somebody pray with you. We want to pray with you today. We believe God will move in your circumstances. If you love the Lord today, let your life be holy.